Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman. And all right, if the sound is a little bit different today, you know the drill by this point. I am somewhere else in that particular thing. See if we can get a little bit of those sounds. If you hear some sheep <laughs> in the background, if you hear all kinds of sounds of nature, it is because I am at Blackberry Farm in Wallen, Tennessee, with the executive chef of the barn at Blackberry Farm, Cassidy Dabney. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going real good. These I'm, sheep are loud. I'm going to straight up say that <laughs> this morning was a wine tasting. <laughs> we were drinking all kinds of uh, unicorns mm-hmm. <laughs> as uh, with... with um, Eric Solomon. Oh, he's he's a he's a wild child, and yes, the hair though, right? <laughs> he's I, I saw him. I hadn't <laughs> seen him for. I I just assumed that he was a random rock star who was staying here, which would not be out of character for Blackberry <laughs> Farm here, where you can come and uh, we're 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 in the woods here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, on the front porch of the Pencil Cob Cottage. Do you know about Pencil Cob? No, would you please tell Did me? Did they about- tell you about that? No. Okay, so it's a kind of corn. I and thought maybe. Get this, the cob is very small, like a pencil. <laughs> it sounds like a rude insult. <laughs> <laughs> hey there, Pencil Cob. <laughs> eh, maybe it is, you know? I saw the the one next to us is like a butcher or something, and I remember I've grown bloody butcher corn in the past, so I assume that this, these might be corn names. So. I think this is the corn bin right here. Yeah. <laughs> For certain. But anyway, how was how was your morning? I mean, aside from the wine uh, and the sheep. So, well, so Cassidy and I have been uh, petting <laughs> puppies. So it's, <laughs> I think it's a thing I'd heard for years about the magic of Blackberry Farm. I'd been for dinner a couple of times. Uh, I'm trying to remember what years it was. And I definitely know that you cooked one of, of them in the barn for Biscuit Fest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I had never stayed here before, and I'd heard from people, you step onto the property, and just something magic happens, this bubble, this bliss. It's not real. This place is like a fairy tale. So be. tell me about the first time you walked onto the premises here. I was doing a stage to come work, and I think it was either 04 or 05 when I was doing the stage. Okay. And I was nervous, obviously, because I'm coming from the Four Seasons in Wyoming, and I'm in Tennessee, and... So you're used to, like, high-end hospitality tied to a resort kind of place. Yeah. That's a little bit my shtick, a little bit. But then I come up to the walk-in at the main house, and it's an old, like, bunker or, like, storm shelter with stone and trees growing on the top of it <clears throat> and i i was sold at that single yeah. moment that i saw this little magical little gnome door walk in <laughs> and i'm like i have to work here and of course i go in and i meet everybody and it was exactly what i thought it would be just Who's great people the and, chef of the was it joseph lynn was it, it was john fleer oh wow okay so that's, joseph lynn and i were line cooks together oh my gosh okay yeah so if you would explain to people for a second for context uh john fleer and why he's so important okay so john fleer 
I can't say enough great things about this man. He is that chef that brought Southern food to like the forefront of the country. Just like, hey, everybody, we're doing something incredible here. Mm -hmm. We have these amazing artisans and all this amazing things that we're doing. All this soul. Come check us out. And doing it in a fine dining. And doing it in a fine dining. Yeah, because I feel like people knew that Southern food was great, but they didn't have that particular lens on it necessarily. They didn't know that it could be refined. And because I'm thinking of like the great, like, you know, any of the temples of, of Southern cooking and stuff, I have like Highlands um, mm-hmm. and, you know, a bunch of places in New Orleans. That's debatable if that's Southern food or, or not. And, and these places, but I, you know, I, I think of, of some of these like classic old places and they're so spectacular and they feel like they're in a different time. But the thing is here feels present. Yeah, we try to keep it pretty present. Well, <laughs> Let's talk about the fact that like so much of what you are cooking, had you been in a situation before where so much of what you were cooking was from right freaking there? No. I mean, <laughs> I grew up in a like a hunting and gardening family. Yeah, so, where'd you grow up? Well, where didn't I? Um, <laughs> Tennessee and Virginia, Arkansas, Georgia, Colorado. Military thing going on? Or? My dad was in the Forest Service. Okay. So he's a wildlife biologist. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Yeah, so we have this like kind of a connection to the land via him and his job and his passion for the outdoors. So I, I kind of had that connection already. I understood like cooking with where you were at and what you could find kicking around. But then having so much, so much stuff around is incredible. Like the dairy, the sheep you hear behind <laughs> a few feet away <laughs> were screaming at us. And then the chickens we passed on the way here. You know, there's just so many... And I'm just looking in this little wood area that we're hanging out in. And there's all sorts of things that we could be using. We should be walking around snacking. We should be snacking <laughs> out in the woods. But there's so many things. And, and, and you kind of like you you learn from the locals. You learn from making mistakes. Um, and then you hope that somebody else is going to eat the food and really enjoy it and, and connect. So Foothills Cuisine um, is a, th- a, a term that maybe didn't always exist and it came about, and John Flair was kind of at the, he's like a progenitor of, yeah. of this kind of thing. Can we talk about what that looks like? Because when people think of, you know, this particular region, I mean, there's the, there's a tremendous economic disparity uh, around here. And there is, um, you know, a lot of people maybe struggling to make a living, but also really in touch with nature because that is the, the, less least expensive but like best way to eat and really treasuring these ingredients in a way that I feel like was maybe stigmatized almost I know people who grew up in uh you know sort of this neck of the woods I'm from Kentucky and you know I was thinking of uh you know my my friend's mother who who grew up in the mountains and stuff and she was embarrassed by her cuisine growing up and and what she had to have and I've been seeing this reclamation over the past you know decade or, or more and some people um, behind it, like John Fleer, uh, Travis Milton, <laughs> Ronnie yeah. Lundy, like really championing this kind of thing. So can we talk about taking those traditions that are very much about sort of sustenance and good food and, and you know, trying to make them into something else that people are, are, are comfortable with in a, in a very high dining setting? Uh, something that people are willing to pay money for. Uh, okay, let's get this out of the way. <laughs> this is a really expensive ass place that we're sitting here. I'm thinking like, somebody's going to come by, realize that I went to a state school and like throw me <laughs> off the ground. I, I, was, I was nervous coming here because of class anxiety, frankly. No, I mean, we get, we get a whole lot of different people from all over. And 
I don't know. I think that's another nice thing about Blackberry is that you will find people. I mean, yes, it's expensive, mm -hmm. but some people are gifted their stay or some people are here for mm -hmm. work or whatever the case might be. You're going to run into a whole bunch of people. I talked to a number of people today that were like, oh, I really, really liked your demo. I was raised super poor in mm -hmm. Lake City, Tennessee, you know, mm -hmm. where my dad is from. And there was this really great connection like, huh. And then they, you know. They have a connection to the food. They have yeah. a connection to this land. They also have a giant bank account, obviously. Um. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I met a lovely guy last night, and you know, I could sort of tell, like, he can he can do what he wants to out in the world. But he was uh, talking about his squirrel gravy and and how yeah. good it is, and and saying he grew up, you know, cooking that food. And it was funny because I think he was surprised to find out that, like, you know, somebody who who works at Food and Wine, you know, has cooked squirrel before. I'm like, yeah, I make burgoo every year, and <laughs> for the derby and and i've had a few years where i've been fortunate enough to have squirrel in it too and it's i don't know it's it's been a funny thing to see uh this this reclamation of uh, of of poor people food yeah and have it really recognized as a significant and important cuisine no matter where you meet it right I think it's uh, like i said most of this uh, not most but a lot of people that have a tremendous amount of money now probably didn't have growing up and, and that's what I was I'm seeing this weekend but I love squirrel squirrel and dumplings squirrel and pot pie my dad used to grade the squirrels that we would shoot off of the back porch really you would have a fryer or a brazier and it, and what is the difference there does it depend on sort of like their body mass does it depend it's the size so little guys or fryers okay bigger guys or girls or brazers <laughs> that, so I've mostly just had it um, stewed and uh, you know my, my, fr my pal buddy who is a hunter mm -hmm. um it was really funny i it was uh, when i was still working at cnn i worked with this amazing woman um jennifer martin and she and sh she grew up a hunter and uh like girl can girl can take down an animal yeah. and, and and dress it and and all this and whoa there's a, <laughs> that's a golf cart by the way people get around here on uh on golf carts and i'm not really sure what's happening <laughs> that was very funny he lost, he lost oh, a shoe picking up no picking no. up some sticks oh something fell out of the golf cart oh, okay. <laughs> but she was really wonderful and you know and, and she knew that i was the food person there at work and then i was hoping to cook some squirrel in this very traditional kentucky dish so she <laughs> was down in atlanta and she met me with a um freezer bag an insulated uh, container with some frozen squirrels in it that her now husband had had uh, shot and dressed for me Aww. and it was really sweet and and I took them on as carry-on on the plane <laughs> <laughs> and it was and it was the greatest thing and but I was able to serve it at a party at my house that um it was it, it used to be like over Derby and and um, James Beard used to be at the same time and it was all in New York and so I had all these like James Beard nominated chefs like at my house picking squirrel for me because I uh, injured <laughs> I had injured my hand and had to keep it elevated. I do have a lot of bones, you know. Yeah, and it was but it was such a treat to be able to do that and I didn't want to freak people out because again I realized that people have a lot of prejudices against various foods and if you're not familiar with it people might so I we stewed it and served it separately and you could put some in your burger if you wanted to yeah I, I mean if you get a hold of some again comfy it it's yeah just you can do the whole thing like a rabbit 
It's really good. I, I remember um, <laughs> Mike Huckabee is not my favorite politician at at all, but uh, he had this this bit. Uh, it was uh, I saw a video segment where he was he was calling in and he was talking about uh, cooking squirrel in a popcorn popper in college, like cooking that in his dorm room. And I was like, this is innovative. The one, like this is the one time I've ever related to you. <laughs> but, but Slash it, only. Yeah, the single and it will never happen again. I am certain other than the fact that he likes sawmill gravy which i really like um but it was it was really a beautiful um thing to have and um when i'd been here before it'd been some years back and i had you know i had eaten in the barn and i'd been out in the garden and your gardener here um (laughs) gave us a tour but also gave me beans to grow and i've been growing those in brooklyn for on and off for years Mm -hmm. wash day crowder pee oh golly i would know if i saw the name Whippoorwill. Uh, there, there were some very flat, broad, uh, kind of like rust-colored beans. I, it's and it's it's one of those things where they had such great names, and I know if I and there oh there were some some black beans like some black pole beans that were just the loveliest thing. And uh, I, maybe I got that wrong, but they were or, no, they were oh, getting all confuzzled right now on account of the morning one. But <laughs> but nonetheless, they all grew so beautifully, and I. Um, I would make a meal with them and then save the rest. Yeah, to save more. So let's talk about the the gardening aspect here. Like, do you when you're menu planning, how closely are you working with John, the farmer? Well, okay, so we we put in a wish list of what we want to see grown. Oh wow! Um, and we'll probably start looking at seeds for spring after the fall garden is really up and running and then we'll say hey this is what we would really like to see this this and this and then we hope for the best obviously that it um all works out sometimes it doesn't work out sometimes they're like it's a good idea but that doesn't grow very well here yeah this year i was really adamant on needing to have we ran out of grits probably in march okay so we ran out of so you're growing the corn here yeah for the grits mm-hmm. oh my god and we ran out this year kind of early and i'm like hey can we just make sure we make it until april yeah or may because you know spring might be on the calendar here but that doesn't mean we're gonna have right. things growing so i wanted to make it a little bit longer on the grits and then we also make hominy out of it mm-hmm. and then I'm particular You're about mixtamalize here. Yes, which I cannot say that word. <laughs> I had I had a podcast <laughs> with uh, one of the people from from Suerte, and uh, and they're hardcore about their masa. So I had to just say over and over, mixtamalize, mixtamalize. <laughs> I can't even. Like, I have to. Like I can't even get it close enough on spell check. Spell check knows what I'm talking about. Oh my gosh! I, so there, I get necklaces all from the same place, and you can have words made, and I need to have one and send it to you next <laughs> I do have a. Giant ear of corn, <laughs> giant sparkly ear of corn that I nixtamalize. Nixtamalize. It's just such a fun thing, and it's such a, a fun process. I mean, what I love about uh, everybody I meet from here is you're total dorks, and I say that with absolute love in my mm-hmm. heart. Um, like listening to anybody here talk about uh, whether it's brewing or wine or cooking or gardening or something like that. We just, you know, we're spending time with the woman who is raising the puppies. Um, She's every- cool. <laughs> yeah. and But everybody's super wonderfully dorky about what, what it is that they do. Is that something that's been inherent in you? Like growing up, did you know that you wanted to cook? And if so, how – what was your plan? My plan was to be Indiana Jones. Like I was dead <laughs> I- set on that. And then when I realized that that wasn't a reality, uh-huh. I actually um, studied anthropology in college. 
And then college and I were not a good match. So, That's a very chefy thing. <laughs> so then we went, <laughs> then we, I went to culinary school and I don't know. I, it just fit. Like, I really love the community that a restaurant can. I was working in kitchens in college and I found myself skipping class to pick up shifts because yeah. I enjoyed cooking more. And I was just working at the Applebee's there in Fayetteville, mm-hmm. Arkansas on campus. But, and I'm not doing anything very special, but I really love the community. I love everybody was there. Mm-hmm. There was every single person you could think of was represented in that kitchen, be it front of the house or back of the house combined. You were going to, just have this wonderful experience with great people. And then I was also really excited about food, having had a great connection to food growing up with all the hunting and the growing of our own foods and seed saving and things. So it just kind of made sense for me to go to culinary school, at least in my head. And then I went to culinary school and it was like, I wasn't even in school. It was like, I was just doing this cool thing every day that I liked a lot. And where, and where did you go? Uh, New England Culinary Institute in Vermont. Okay. Cause I, I know that there's always a debate about cooking school. Is it worth your time? Should you just go to a restaurant and stuff? But you had a positive experience. I could have missed it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I could have skipped it. I could have probably started working at a really high end place, but to get into a really high end place, a lot of the time, especially 20 years ago, yeah. you needed to have some sort of certificate or experience to get into a high level. No high level was just hiring people off the streets, you know? Is this changing, do you think? Absolutely. I think this is absolutely changing. Um, A lot of kids that are coming out of culinary school right now don't want to come into restaurants in a low-level position. They want to be immediately a sous chef or an executive chef of a restaurant. Because they just spent all that money. Because <laughs> they just spent all of that money. And, and and that's their expectation. That's their parents' expectation, you know, that yeah. they feel like they have to live up to that. So, yeah, I find that we are definitely um, – people walk in and they're like, I went to this community college. I took a couple culinary mm-hmm. classes. I'm really into it. I work at Cheddar's down the street. And we're like – Come on in, check us out, see if you fit. Yeah, it's uh, Brian Caswell, chef in um, in Houston. I remember he I interviewed him once about why he would always hire somebody with Waffle House on their resume, <laughs> and he was like, "They don't have tickets. <laughs> you know, they, you know, you're you're working in an open kitchen. You got to be fast, and it was just very particular yeah. things. And I, mean, I. I think that's one of those things, those perceptions that that is changing as more and more chefs are getting kind of a platform for to share their own voice. People think of it as this frou frou, <laughs> yeah, kind of thing, and it's it's not. And Mm-mm. I, you know, I do you feel like it's also changing that more people from different backgrounds are able to find a home in the kitchen because it, it was like kind of the provenance of this straight white dude for a fair amount of time. Do you feel like that's yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, like. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's really refreshing. Like, we don't even, like, when people send in their resumes, it's just like, we have no idea mm-hmm. what this person is going to be. Yeah. So, of course, we look at them on Instagram and Facebook to mm-hmm. get a general idea. Do they love food? <laughs> of, this, of this person's lifestyle. Do they love food? You know, because um, if you post about food a lot, you probably like it a lot. Also, everybody listening know that they're looking at your Instagram and your Facebook. Yeah. Hey, kids. <laughs> Randall's or however it is. Like... <laughs> Yeah, you might want to uh, tighten that up a little bit. <laughs> mm, button that. You Have know. you had incidents where you sort of saw stuff and you thought like, Mm-mm, yes. I mean, when you just see like every other picture is drunk on a boat or you know, <laughs> bundling beer in a parking lot somewhere, then you're mm-hmm. like, I don't. I mean, good for you. Have your fun, but we we definitely want people that want to be here. And like you said, we're a bunch of nerds, and mm-hmm. we we really really connect with nerds. So if someone shows a huge amount of passion and focus. Come on. How about 
on the sort of guest level, because again, like I, you know, I had class anxiety come in here and, and it's funny, you know, I, I dining out for years, I work at food and wine and stuff. And I still have that thing. Sometimes if I walk into somewhere very high end, I think they're going to know. And I think if I come in there with, you know, the particular job I have and all the privilege I have, and I still don't feel totally like I, you know, like like people are just going to figure it out about me that I don't belong there somehow. Um, there's got to be a big range of guest experiences that you see coming in here because there are very, very wealthy people who who are here. How how do you identify the other people and make them feel comfortable? The people who maybe this isn't this might be their once in a lifetime. There might be something where you if you can spot well, nervous. the thing when they make the reservation, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, "This has been on my bucket list the whole time," you know. And then they yeah. get super excited when they're like planning with their reservation person, mm-hmm. and then we're like, "Oh, okay." And then we have notes on all of our guests, so mm-hmm. we know how many times they've been here, if it's a first time, if it's mm-hmm. a bucket list, or if there's a special occasion. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of read between the lines just on paper. Yeah, if the, definitely if it says bucket list, we're like, "Yeah, right." Yeah, let's do this, you know, and we get really excited about (laughs) um, having those guests because we want to make sure that one time that they get to go to Blackberry Farm is the best time they ever have. That's such a good thing. I, I, a dear friend of mine was uh, Maitre D at Danielle for a really long time, and he made a point of if he had people, you know, they had saved up all their money and they had they had come to make sure that they got a killer table. They were seated next to a celebrity, maybe or something, and they were really having that rock and roll experience that moment. I guess I mean, if they're only going to have it once, you need to make sure you knock it out of the park. So you were telling me on the way here, there's somebody who was like literal, like last meal kind of. Yeah, we've in in my experience cooking, we get. A lot of last meals. Wow. Can you unpack that a little bit? So if someone is terminally ill and maybe they're no longer wanting to fight the fight for whatever it is that they have or whatever their circumstances might be, Mm -hmm. they just come here and they want to forget about all of that and they want to have, again, just a knock it out of the park great weekend and we if you could see the emails that go around about making sure that everything is perfect for this person yeah you know what i mean like can you please make this is their favorite soap or they really love diet dr pepper their fridge needs to be stocked with it whatever it might be just like really 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 taking care of those people because they're not gonna have that opportunity again yeah i mean that's 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 so and the thing is, is like everyone that works here, yeah. you're not going to find anyone that is like, no, I don't have time for that. They will <laughs> stop what they're doing and mm. they will be like, do you need me to go to Kroger and pick up Diet Dr. Pepper on my way into work? You yeah. know, like every single person on property would do that. Yeah. There's there's an emotional sort of attunement here. Yeah. That. And so do you hire for that? Like, are, are there people, because you can help people develop skills. How much emotional intelligence is is hired for here? Honestly, it's for me, especially regionally, everyone in this community is like that. Yeah. It's a small town. Yeah. And everybody kind of just looks after each other. So when you have somebody that maybe your grandmother was terminal and you wanted someone mm-hmm. to take care of her like that, they take it super personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. there. I mean, there's, there is that depth of, of caring. And, yeah. You know, I've definitely... I've, just think about this a lot when I, I've been in places where 
you know, I, I feel like I am not totally welcome. I've just been thinking about this a lot, like where you, you walk in and you think like the people are sort of like, oh, you know, you're lucky to be here kind of thing. And there's that kind of hospitality where they you almost feel like you have to live up to their ideal versus that other sort of thing where people are going to meet you where you are and make sure that you are comfortable in that particular way. And, you know, and, and I've seen it also when I've walked into places, especially I have uh, my husband's aunt is in her 90s and when his mother passed away a few years ago, but they uh, and, and you know, she was in her 90s um, at that point. And when they would come in and there would be these two little old ladies and you could see the staff just roll their eyes <laughs> and be like, oh, God. And, and it, that feels crappy. Yes. It feels really crappy. I remember my, well, my mother has a lot of, um, she can't really eat out at restaurants anymore, but she has a lot of physical problems. And she and my dad had been really psyched to stay at this um, uh, well-regarded mountain house that is not in this state. (laughs) And uh, when, when, when I was uh, finishing grad school and uh, she has to wear like sneakers because like her feet are, are so mangled and, and they have a dress code and she was told that she'd have to eat in her room and uh, my dad had some things to say about I bet he did. Yeah. And, it, yeah, and starting with, have you heard of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which I think was in effect at the time. I mean, this was a long time ago and stuff. And they, you know, apologized profusely and stuff. But I'm like, are you kidding me? Like they are, she's supposed to be like shuttled away and, and stuff. So I, I'm, I'm, so I'm just hyper conscious about people feeling comfortable, whether it's like a, a difference of body or gender or economics or whatever, just yeah. making people feel welcome. Are there classes on that here? How is the training? Like, are- um, well, no, I don't think anybody. <laughs> I don't think we have classes on that. I think everybody is just good. Yeah. I mean, I hate to kind of put us in that bucket, but yeah, like you, people are genuinely nice, yeah, and they're genuinely kind, and they're genuinely excited about your experience. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. Like we just, they just, they just show up. <laughs> well, I get the sense that y'all take care of each other in a really meaningful way too. And if it's okay to talk about this, because I, you know, I talked to Andy and Sarah Chabot about this. You all had a, a, the reason that we're all here this for this particular few days is honoring the legacy of Sam Bell, uh, proprietor of, of Blackberry farm. And uh, he took over from his parents. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, he passed away very suddenly in 2016. Was it? Yeah. Um, and had this tremendous legacy of education and nerdiness (laughs) and hospitality and all that. And, And the money, uh, for this, um, this particular it's not it's not a weekend it feels like a weekend but it's just slightly shifted into the week goes toward the sam bell fellows which helps um people in hospitality stage at places around the world and yes it's a really really good thing but you were you worked with him very closely and you lost him can we talk about how you all took care of each other during that time when there is uh you're all grieving and yet you still have to take care of other guests and uh, I think it was the taking care of other guests that kept us above water yeah does that make sense yeah talk a little bit about that I think we we were all in shock nobody knew what to do he was young he was young um he would have been what 43 last week this week oh my gosh and five kids yeah wow yeah um and he um it, it was just like he was the leader in chief we would all sit down every week hang out talk spitball ideas mm-hmm. like here i got this dish i need to try do you mind coming up to the barn and 
tell me what you think. You know, it's just this really great open communication. And, you know, but at the end of the day, like the decision for most things was on him. Yeah. And then he's gone. Yeah. And we're all like, and so we have to make those decisions immediately. There's no like moment, you know, like immediate decision marketing, what goes in the obituary, you Mm -hmm. know, like immediate, like I do not envy the ladies that had to take care of that marketing situation, the PR side of things. Like how do we release this to the, to the world? And then everyone is having to stay really, really, really buttoned up. And you had guests at the time. We had full guests. We never stopped having guests. We never stopped going. Yeah. No one ever had time to stop. And we always had to keep serving. We always had to keep doing what it is that we do every day. And then I think it was probably about, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, we all just kind of looked at each other and was like, we're on the other side of this, you know? Yeah. Like, hey, how are you doing? I have a second now. How are you doing? Yeah. Because you have to take this, there's this property and everything about it was Sam. And then all of a sudden you have to make it just as great. Mm-hmm. And you have to let everyone know that it's just going to be great. We all know exactly what Sam would have done. We're now going to make those decisions. We are now going to keep moving forward. And the core group of us that were there and have been here for a long time, I'm going on my ninth year mm-hmm. we're constantly checking in with each other yeah like how are you doing what do you need you got an idea about something let's talk want to grab a glass of wine you know it's just yeah. like we're we are 100 family in yeah. every sense of the word and that goes from you know mary celeste to i was just talking with chris bell sam's mom and and we have these very 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 candid open honest sometimes not comfortable but always needed conversations still and how were you because you you know you're a team leader how do you take care of the people who are who you're supervising who you know maybe you know there's a step in between them or so but they but you know they're still having to bear the weight of this how do you have those um those conversations that not a lot of people are trained for i think we as a culture are not awesome uh, about talking about emotional stuff in in a lot of ways and i know that this is a kitchen that is different from a lot of kitchens but so many kitchens are shut up and cook yeah and just tuck it away but this is an, an a moment that you can't step away from or ignore so how how has that sort of altered the dna of how you all communicate with one another is lineup our lineups different is there a check-in system how does this work we had of course we had the lineups before and we had the check-ins before because that was the culture that he brought to the table mm-hmm. um every day you check in how are you doing is everybody mm-hmm. okay is anybody you know and then we have um private lines of communication to each other too in case it doesn't need to be public or if something needs to be said Mm-hmm. privately um it was hard it was hard commun- i had to communicate to my team that i wasn't able to create yeah i couldn't yeah yeah i i, I imagine having to is when you're in grief it's hard to feed yourself let alone uh, try to give somebody, you know, you're trying to make some freaking oatmeal and feed yourself, let alone trying to give people the razzle-dazzle uh, 
kind of destination plates. That yeah, they, they and it was like the bare from. minimum. You know, I'm like, I'm going to just really press on. I'm going to lean into technique and ingredients right now and just let that mm-hmm. lead because I don't have any creativity right now. How did you build back up from that? How did you take care of your yourself? And are you okay? Okay. I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> I'm like, I'm holding it back myself right now, but I may not. Um, it's it's hard. No one prepares you for this. No one. Uh, we're not great about grief as a culture. We're not yeah. great about emotions and, and all of this and um, putting it into food. Um, self-care is not something that comes naturally to a lot of us. Oh, God, no. I just took my first vacation in five years this year. It was just like, Where well, did you go? What did you I do? I went to Eastern Europe. Oh, my God. I've heard incredible. Okay, you need to do that one. But there's like, we were just talking about the, the poverty of Appalachia, you know, and, and how the food is. Yeah. I mean, the same thing is happening in Eastern Europe, yeah. but it's on a much closer to us right now scale because they just got rid of communism in yeah. like 89. I mean, we just uh, did in the September issue, um, Besha Rodell went around the world for us and we did the world's 30 best restaurants. And there's one in Slovenia that she's she she was like i know everybody's going to croatia i know everybody's going to all these places she's like slovenia is where it's at and you know but pe- people it feels like croatia really is is having this thing but it's to, having a moment for sure y- yeah the balkans yeah. Like, or are the balkans there I, my geography is so bad um bosnia i know is having a you know <laughs> moments <laughs> you know it's just like all these things where i always thought of like you know growing up like oh war-torn whatever and the fact that like people are going there is to now and apparently there's incredible food happening and yeah you sort of, and beautiful things and and like good resilient people who yeah. have had to come back from this but it took you this many years to have a vacation so what were you doing for yourself in the meantime to just plug back in to take care of the, what did the day-to-day of self-care look like because i okay so i hurt hard. my foot oh no and i hurt my foot and bad and then of course i ignored it because yeah because you're a chef because i'm a chef that's what you do and then (laughs) of course it got worse yeah and then of course i had to have surgery Mm -hmm. and then of course i was forced to take two weeks just to heal Mm -hmm. from the surgery and then of course i had a scooter in the kitchen scooting around (laughs) on an e-scooter because how else are you supposed to expedite with a boot yeah um so once my foot got healed i was able to get back into my fitness routine that I've had like almost my entire life Mm -hmm. where 45 minutes to an hour a day, I am outside. I don't care if it's raining or if it's 105 degrees or if it's two degrees, I am outside and I'm feeling whatever outside is giving me. Mm -hmm. And I have an earbuds and I'm listening whatever music I want to. And I am just letting everything else go. How did, and so you have just always done that as your self care. Yeah. And do you do it on property here? I do it at home. Okay. I do it around my little neighborhood. I have made friends with all my neighborhood dogs. Oh. Have, um, there's a beautiful green belt and there's snapping turtles and otters even. You know, it's it's nuts. Um, You're friends with an otter. Yeah, they're so cute. And then there's <laughs> birds and then the mushrooms are always popping up. And then there's so much to see if you pay attention, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I just, I need that 45 minutes to an hour a day just every day. Do you, ha- like, what's your source of music? 
Like, do you have your or do you have your phone with you to turn it off? Like, what do you do? I Pandora normally. Okay, or but, Spotify. But do you have it? So, how do you not look at your message? Every chef I know is tied to their phone. Oh, oh, yoga pants nowadays have these little pockets in the sides. But do can you ignore their phone? Or are you? I don't have my notifications on. I can't. Okay, good. I can't do that. Yeah, I've known people who've taken various things off their phone. Like they'll delete Twitter off their phone. They'll delete like whatever because otherwise, my brain goes into spirals where I'm just like checking notifications for things. Oh, who am I letting down? Do I need anything? Who needs something from me? I woke up this morning. I was supposed to call into a call at work and I didn't have a signal. And I was like, I guess I'll just not do it today. I think that don't have a signal at the farm is mm. also great because I don't have a signal. That's really good. I mean, and a lot of people don't believe me. They that haven't been here or don't know, if, they think that I'm just making up some bullshit story about how I don't have a signal. Mm-hmm. And that's why I didn't get back to them. But truth be told, mm-hmm. hear me now, you actually don't have a signal Our, here. We have a place in upstate New York. And no, I have to walk to the top of the hill in yeah. order to get a signal. And it, it's actually really annoying sometimes because if I want to check my online banking, they text you a code. And so I have and to it doesn't do pop in. Yeah, so I have to do that. Run up the hill, get the uh, get the text and run back down the hill. And it's like expires in, in a few minutes. <laughs> like, really, this is what's happening right now. Oops, oopsie. Yeah, but it's, it's nice. It is a really good break, but I've had to, it, it's a lot of work training myself to unplug. Yeah, and do self-care kind of stuff. I'm what not, do you do? I'm not good at it. Like, I, I really, it's, um, yeah, I need to work on that. I, I, you know what? It's been being just kinder to myself. It's not even. I know I need to get a particular practice of of something that I do. Um, I talk actually on this podcast a lot about Andrew Zimmern and how good he's been for for me. Um, last year, after Anthony Bourdain's death, we talked a lot. Um, he and he was definitely Andrew was very much there for me when I was having a rough time uh, last summer with anxiety, and and he said you need a daily practice. Um, and he was saying he'd always told Tony that he needed daily practice. He was like, ah, shut up. So, <laughs> um, and well, I keep telling myself I'll figure out what that is. And I bought sketchbooks and I did all that. Um, the important thing that happened though was I got an ADHD diagnosis, mm-hmm. and uh, which is at the root of a lot of my anxiety. And what it did was let me forgive myself for when I can't be perfect at things and when I feel really scattered and when I can't concentrate. I used to beat myself and be like, I just have this garbage brain. I'm a garbage person and all all that stuff. And I realized like, oh, there's an actual medical reason. I do still have to do the the work and stuff, but I'm able to say like, okay, that was a bad brain day. Maybe tomorrow will be, I'll take my medication. Um, but I went, I went on medication and uh, maybe tomorrow will be easier and better. And really uh, trying to, I, I, you know what? I've gotten better about letting myself go to bed a little bit earlier if I possibly can. Sleep is so great. It's, oh my God, are you good at it? I suck at it and I try so hard. <gasps> so what is your, so the thing that I did that uh, actually, I will say, okay, so I'll say this. I improved my sleep life radically by doing a few things. Got a white noise machine, but a sort of super fancy one. I'd stayed at a hotel called Zero George in Charleston. And they had this thing called a sleep plus sound machine and it's reactive. So if if there's a noise, it rises the white noise to mask it. So if there's a sudden, say if somebody is snoring next to you or, yeah. or you know, I live on a busy street. Um, if something goes by, it just raises the level of it so it's masking it and you can change the depth of sound and it's all these nature sounds. That, oh my God, that improves things so much. And I got a gravity blanket 
or uh, you know one of yeah, those like, weighted yeah, yeah, blankets. Yeah. It's helped so much, like really. But that that I travel with a little Bluetooth speaker slash no- is the the small version of that Bluetooth speaker, but it's also a noise machine, like a white noise machine, and it helps so much. See, I live on a super quiet street with like zero sound. I can't sleep when there's no sound. And that's the thing. <laughs> I'm pretty good at also turning on an audible. I don't care anything about. Yeah. Normally with a British accent, whoever's oh, reading it. soothing. And then it is just like one, two, three, done. Oh, you know, I'm out. There's a podcast called Sleep With Me, and it's boring bedtime stories that this guy reads in a really droning <laughs> voice. It's the best thing. The other thing is, so it's great. They, I, it turns out I didn't need to ble- bring the Bluetooth speaker, except for the fact that I brought mine to the pool last night. I took a midnight swim. And, but there are these great little uh, like Bose speakers in here that are really nice. Mm-hmm. And I bought this uh, piece of music that I'd heard about on a podcast um uh, NPR Pop Culture Happy Hour. And there is uh, a music guy on there named uh, Stephen Thompson. And I was thinking like, oh, I always love his musical taste. It really resonates with me. And one day I was like, oh my gosh, it's like we have the exact same taste. He's turning me on, on the, all these things. I wonder if we're the same age. We were born the same day, what? it turns out. Yes. And I was like, okay. Um, but he talked about this composition by Max Richter and the Max Richter Orchestra. It is an eight hour piece of music called sleep how did they get through that it's uh, they must have recorded it in in waves but it's supposed to mirror like your ideal sleep cycle so i put that on the speaker last night and it's incredible i'm going to see a a short live performance of it uh next next month (laughs) people just not off no they have had uh usually like a mattress company sponsored it or something so they'll have you know a bunch of you know whatever it happens to be and people can actually like go to sleep during it wow yeah which is really cool but uh getting my sleep right or at least better than it was Mm -hmm. oh that and also medical marijuana (laughs) i am legal in the state of new york so good for you i have a a one (laughs) and i had never smoked pot before this is like it was totally new to me before a couple months ago i had never done anything and i have a 20 to 1 cbd thc tincture okay there are birds oh those are the turkeys or the yeah i think those are the turkeys somebody must be the dogs must have gotten close to them. <laughs> I, I hope you all can hear some of this. Um, but then, like during the day, it's good for inflammation because I have like endometriosis pain and stuff. But then, um, like a one-to-one ratio vape for night, I never feel like obliterated or anything like that. I'm just like, oh, my body is chill now. <laughs> and like, and, I'm normally just so exhausted by the end yeah, of my night. You have a much more physically brutal job than and I do. I, I will literally just get out of the shower, fall into bed, and I will wake up. And I used to get by on like four to six hours of sleep yeah i was three to four it was not good that was like not really good for me and Mm -hmm. then now i'm more of a seven to eight girl yeah it's great yeah and you and i are both in our 40s (laughs) and you're new to it yes kind of new yeah it's you know what my 40s have been the best times of my life honestly like do i have some more aches and stuff Yes, sure. Yes. But <laughs> do I have more gray to cover? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I'm like kind of letting that fly right now. I'm just like, and it's you know, and, and it's fine. Um, but I, I realize like, you know, the not beating myself up as much. And in kitchens, I tell me about the kind of kitchens you came up through. Were were they the yelly screamy kind of kitchens? Oh yeah, they were the yelly screamy throwy kitchens. Oh my god, can you talk a little bit about yeah, that they and were terrible what, and what you're trying to do? <laughs> And to be the opposite of that. So you can name names or not. <laughs> I won't name any names, but definitely just like 
not great experiences, um, but also really great experiences. You know, like that's 20 years ago in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I mean, what cities were you cooking in? Um, Boston, Atlanta, oh, wow. okay. Jackson, Wyoming, the Big Island in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've heard Boston restaurant culture a lot of. I remember I was interviewing or I was being interviewed sort of along with Barbara Lynch and she said she had come up through a particular chef and she's like, I learned how to be a chef by doing everything at the opposite of Exactly. <laughs> like sometimes your experiences aren't what you don't want to mimic the person that you're working for. You want to be the exact opposite of the yeah. person that you're working for. And you just do that. And there were, there were nine pants thrown. There were moments where <sighs> I would go to dry storage and just cry because I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? Oh, talk to me about this. It's a question I ask everybody. Have you ever cried in the walk-in? Yes. Nowadays, <laughs> in, my, in my kitchen, we have we have a good scream just about every day. God, screams are great. We go into the walk-in and I'm like, look around. And then normally Lawrence, pastry chef Lawrence, will be like, I want in on this. And we'll just go in there and scream. Talk until... about, oh, talk about okay, like the physicality of this, because okay. I love a, a really good scream. So when I'm screaming, everything that is driving me crazy and anything that makes me want to punch something or cry or that is frustrating me mm-hmm. leaves my body in that scream, because it is a oh. guttural, just absolute shrill get out of me devil scream it, it's oh my gosh last summer after anthony bourdain um i've talked about this on the podcast some um, you know i was absorbing a lot of other people's trauma and going around the country and talking with people and stuff but not dealing with my own stuff and letting it build and build and build and i went into a bad anxiety spiral it was not entirely related to that but also wasn't not related to traveling for you know eight weeks each in a different city like talking to people (laughs) and it built up so so much and it was becoming really detrimental to my well-being but i couldn't make myself cry and i just couldn't i couldn't do it until i got phone call from a friend of mine um saying he and his wife of 20 years were splitting up and and so we and we love them both very much and so you know we spent a bunch of the weekend talking to him and i had joked with my husband that uh, i just i needed a good scream through the kavanaugh hearings and all that stuff yeah, and, and uh we we have a place in upstate new york uh this old gothic stone episcopal church and with really high ceilings and really good acoustics and tea uh, took the dogs out and I I cranked up some industrial music and screamed until I almost threw up. Yeah, until you bo- can't. Yeah, and you have to do it from the stomach, not mm-hmm. the throat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, who? How did you – and s- screaming is a hard thing to let yourself do if you're not used to it. How did you give yourself permission? How did you learn to scream? It wasn't really a learn. I was like, if I don't do this now, I will throw, and I'm not going to throw anything at somebody, so I need to scream. Was it just like one particular day you were like, this is what I'm doing? Yes. Yeah. And then after that, I was like, thank you, scream. I'm doing that again. And then, of course, everybody else wants to scream, too. Like, everyone around you does. And then when you scream, they're like, oh, we can scream? Oh, we're screaming? Yeah. Let's scream. I've been trying to convince kitchen (laughs) teams to do this. Seriously. We do it almost every day. We've actually done it a couple times today. I am so glad you're saying this out loud (laughs) because I, I, I uh, I sat down with... 
Um, I think it's probably okay to say this because I think they're going to do this and we've talked and we're actually going to talk about this on stage. Um, Missy Robbins and Sean Feeney from Lilia and Missy. Um, I sat down with Sean and he's like, they're doing such great stuff for like the culture of their restaurant there and taking care of people and doing um, like, you know, physical fitness kind of things. And he came from like, you know, trading world, (laughs) which is super aggro and stuff and, and realizing like, okay, there's a better way to, to do this. And they have this, you know, running club and all this stuff. And I was like, do you have a walk-in? What's the sound like? And I was like, I know you guys have like a, you know, apartment buildings up front, but like, could you go in there and make noise? And he's like, maybe we need to try this. (laughs) So I, and, and I really think like, I, I could see restaurant teams doing that, like having this really, maybe you would have to have in like earplugs or something like that because other people screaming is going to be loud. But um, now that I think about it, actually the time when I got to do that before that um, mad symposium in Copenhagen and uh, there was a person who he was talking about um, anxiety, stress, all that that kind of stuff and, and saying about, um, how to have a calm voice uh, during this. And he did this really cool thing. It's this great big tent, like a great big, like looks like a circus tent. It's probably a, actually is technically a circus tent mm-hmm. and hundreds of people in there. And he had uh, half the people do like a, oh, and just sit there and, and do that. And had the other half of the people scream all at this, like had us doing it alternating then had us all do together. I was on the screaming side. I was like, this is amazing. This Mm -hmm. is really incredible. But the great thing was the point of the exercise was then he waved his hand and had all of the people screaming stop. And the, oh, was still going on. It had been go. And his point was this calm, this core within you has been going on the whole time, the whole time. Just these other voices were drowning it out. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. Wow. And I sort of feel like if you have the scream and you can, exercise that demon that's living in your body right then yeah and we i mean because the barn is only open for dinner so we don't just stick in the walk-in so if it's like yeah two o'clock in the afternoon sometimes we'll just get after it as a group that's really i think that's so healthy to be able to do that that's like great therapy it feels great. And everyone likes it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is there, and, and just for the physicality of it, do you have, have tips on how not to like hurt your throat, how not to... No, I'm certainly not a pro screamer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could have a scream coach come or like, well, because I, before I did that, because I, I thought I'd, I'll, I'll do it at some point. I talked to like stage friends, friends of mine who are performers and stuff like, how do you do this? And they're like, well, you know, do it from your stomach and do it and just don't have it like ripping from your... It does kind of go from there sometimes though, like towards the end when you're like out of air and do you cry when you scream because i do (laughs) uh not necessarily Mm -hmm. like sometimes we'll be um we'll have a bit of a tantrum as well so like if we're in the walk-in and there's lids on things and we'll slap things and everybody will just kind of like punch a grit bag (laughs) punch things and then everybody just like lets it it's great. I, I I can't tell you how amazingly healthy that sounds because like I ask more and more people this walk-in question and like and the people though who said that they've never cried in the walk-in said what they do is um, go in there and uh, take their shoes off 
and just have like uh, I think it's like you know they they admitted to socks they did not admit to bare feet but who knows but they were saying like the cool groundingness of the walk-in was really powerful we do that in between um big turns in the dining room mm-hmm. me and whoever I'm expediting with will take off our shoes and you know how like the hand the toes in the sand kind of yeah. feel because like when you're in your hot shoes and then you take them off no matter how hot the kitchen is it's still cooler than the inside of your shoes yeah and it's like this like sand toes in the sand kind of feeling yeah and we just go oh that feels good and they're like all right let's go back to this and then you just that's kind of like a restart i love that because you'd sometimes need a a physical change for that i know with uh blackberry mountain that that whole it's it's geared toward wellness Mm -hmm. and and stuff and that that's sort of part of the the core culture of here and it's you know it's a joy to see people turning away from the masochism of it all because i you know, I talked to a lot of chefs who are sort of my age and older and and talking about that particular the Gen X masochism of 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 all of it where there is that pride in like, well, you know, I worked a double well, I worked a you know, a clopin, I or you know, or I, you know, whatever and I you know, and I went out late, you know, afterwards and and uh rallied for the next morning and this um thing that is leading to I think we're at a point in culture of both society and the restaurants where we're not lauding that behavior anymore we've seen too many people die from that behavior yeah i just did two back-to-back events and then i came back i had a day off and then i came back and i needed another day and i had like two days before i could have like two days off in a row and that day i was just like i was having a hard time reading tickets and like yeah communicating to the team like pickups and things like i was yeah. definitely twisted yeah. and i was like you'll have to forgive like i think if you're just honest with people about mm-hmm. how you're feeling and like why you're acting a certain way mm-hmm. um then they go okay I got you. And then they understand it. And I'm like, I might not have been here for a couple of days, but I was still busting my ass someplace else. And it really wore me out and I'm tired and I need two days off. And then I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've learned, I've been trying to apologize less for when I'm not feeling well. Cause I've been, you know, dealing with physical stuff the past few years and just like, here's what, here's what's going on. I can't, <laughs> this is where I'm at. Yeah. And I think, by the way, the rain is sort of pattering oh, down. It's nice. <laughs> so really. Well, the canopy's so thick here. Yeah. Like the smell, it's like there's like some of that smell to it. And it's just, it's really, I think I live here now. I think, I imagine. This is your new porch. Oh my God. That, I mean, you must have that people who just do not want to leave. No, we have people that actually live here. I, I hadn't realized there's a, there's a woman I know and I hadn't realized that her family has a house here. Yeah. And I can see why you would want to do that. Yep. Uh, (laughs) And I, I hate asking gendered questions because I, I, I'm, I'm no chefs are tired of hearing it. They're tired of all this kind of stuff. But do you think, and answer this or or not, if you don't want to, but the, the communication that is coming through now from, from women, because we were socialized. It's, I, I don't think it's biological. I think we're socialized to be a little bit more attuned to, to moods and having to do so much emotion, emotional labor, uh, and I, I see a lot of these more emotionally attuned kitchens that are run by women. Do you do you think that that is an actual factor? Or am I just sort of conflating like these particular things? Is is there something there? Well, I mean, women are like completely told that they need to do everything all the time mm. and also be smiling. Yep. 
backwards um, and heels. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, there's this level of organization that I think we all picked up and noticed from our moms and that mm. they did. My mom, she worked, you know, 40 hours a week, if not more. She also picked us up from all the things and did all the things. And then she was always smiling and she's always checking in and making yeah. sure. And so that was just, that was what my mom did. Yeah. And then even though I'm not a mom, I mean, I'm a mom. To up top. Mom, <laughs> definitely not a mom. But I'm a mom to these kids in the kitchen, you yeah. know? And then I find myself, are you okay? Don't forget to shave tomorrow. You need to get some new starch, you know? And you like, you same. I don't. I don't have kids, and I find myself, you know, momming as, people. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm. Uh, there's a. I have a wonderful, wonderful colleague who sits like just. We sit sort of face to face with monitors in between us. She is 20 years younger than I am, and she's so brilliant. And she, her name is Oset Bubber, and she is magnificent. And <laughs> she's got such emotional intelligence that I feel like some of this younger generation were. They, they were taught they had uh, maybe I, I don't know how exactly it happened other than their parents were sort of like no more like you know people who are sort of more you know in their 40s 50s whatever sort of said like you know what this isn't working for me the way that they grew up and I'm going to change that for my yeah. kids I don't I have I have hope do you have hope I have so much hope who do you I, I like to ask people so if you would tell me about I, I like to find the person sort of in the middle and ask about who was the person who mentored you? Who are you mentoring? So how, what is, because I think this isn't going to exist without really great mentorship on both sides. So who do you go to when, or who taught you how to, how to do this, not just to be, to be a chef, to be a, a leader, to be a person in the kitchen. How did you learn that? Was there a particular person? Okay. Not, not at all related to culinary. Yeah. And not even a single person, but I played sports. Yeah. Growing up, um, like team sports, because I moved around all the time. And then to make friends, you join the basketball team, soccer team, whatever team, wherever mm -hmm. city you're living. And so you, you have, have had, I had a bunch of coaches, but I coach more than I do yeah. anything. Like, because you're in a game every day, the game of restaurants. And we have <laughs> who wins? Who what, wins what does tonight? What does winning even look like? <laughs> um, winning looks like you you leave with a little bit of pep in your step. Um, but like those coaches, they 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 teach you everything. They teach how to motivate somebody, how to motivate someone mm -hmm. to do something, how to unite a team, how to work together as a team, how to know like if this part is over here, then you need to be over here. That's where the ball needs to be, or whatever sport it is you're playing, or analogy you want to talk about coaches yeah big time play those sports and you use those those sensibilities to mentor the younger people yeah play. and if they have um, and i can tell if someone has played a sport <laughs> because they relate more to a lot of the the coaching and the mentoring um more so than if they didn't play the sport. So I'm not going to ask you because like on your own team, because that would be like picking a favorite child or something. Mm -hmm. But is there somebody out in the world, um, just in the restaurant world or whatever, who you think is just the future, who's bringing it up, who's who's doing the yes, thing? Yes. Is, you want to shout out a few names? Um, I think my entire sous chef team okay. is that. Shout them out. All right. We got Joey Edwards. We got Lawrence Faber, Lindsay Fitzgerald, Ben Johnson, Alyssa Hu. They're all going to go on and you're going to need to remember those names because they're going to be incredible because honestly, that's what I want. Like that is my legacy, not some damn dish that people ate a couple of times and said nice things about, mm -hmm. but it's the people that worked underneath you going on and being better than you.
yeah. because of you. That's so lovely. <laughs> That's And have you had, um, in your tenure here, somebody leave and start something else? Oh, we've had so many people leave and start other things. It does feel great to be out in the world to like and yes. go and see that sort of diaspora. Of yes, and you're like, oh, my God, you did it. That's so awesome. That's so amazing. And then you, like, of course, talk to these people, and they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. It's cute. It's amazing. That's what you want. That's that's the really lovely way to go about it. And I think that's the only way this industry is going to survive. If we all, everybody screams together, you <laughs> scream together, you support each other, you yeah. have everybody's back. So you've been talking about taking care of other people. This is our Oprah moment that we uh. do in the podcast where, you know, the secret it's, you know, damn you Oprah for bringing Marianne Williamson into things, but there's other, other spiritual kind of things. Good. But I, I really believe in, um, Vocalizing. I'm sorry if Marianne Williamson is your candidate. She's not fine. <laughs> the, the, uh, but I believe in saying out loud the thing that you want so people can hear it and help you get there. What is the thing that you want? What is like a, a long-term selfish goal or something you want right now? What is the thing that you really want to whisper out into the universe so people oh God, can help you? I'm going to just hard pass. I don't know. Yeah. Like legit. <laughs> I haven't, I don't know, like, one thing? Mm-mm. Um, a whole lot of things, of course, I want. What's a small thing? A dog? <gasps> oh, my God. Okay, so right Can before this. Can we start this, with that? Right before this, we, we petted. We didn't know, actually, we didn't get to pet them, but we uh, admired and loved that. Some 10-day-old puppy. Can you say the name of the dog breed? Because I... Legato you something because I'm right there with you. <laughs> it's a legato something. They're truffle dogs. Legato Romnolo. Yeah. I, okay. Ooh, yeah. I'm okay. gonna take that. Uh, we 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 spent a fair amount of time watching those those little dogs and watching them nurse on their mom. And it was yeah. I want a dog for you. I want a dog for me. And I think having a dog also comes with having the time. Yeah. To spend with a dog. Yeah. I have the yard. I'm yeah. ready. I got that check yard. I've got a dog sitter check. But I need to I need to slow down a little yeah. bit here and there. And I'm hoping the dog will ground me a little bit. You're building a dog ready life. I am this dog is gonna be the luckiest dog in the world. <laughs> I I mean I thought those truffle puppies were lucky. This like Cassidy Dabney's dog. <laughs> my dog is going to be the luckiest dog in the oh, world. Oh my gosh. We we've got the speed round now. <laughs> oh shoot. What is your comfort food? Watermelon. I can eat a whole one. I love them. Oh my gosh! Wait, where was that skit from? My cat can eat a whole watermelon. There's like a line from a movie somewhere. So no, it says my yeah. cat can eat a whole watermelon. <laughs> I had watermelon at the uh, the dinner last night, and it had uh, some savory elements on top of it. It was just magic, crispy chicken skin. Is that with that? God, it was so good. And then uh, I I love pickled watermelon rind. Mm-hmm. I like just straight watermelon. Have you had a really good one this season? I've had so many. I <laughs> am a watermelon person, and I will just cut up watermelon, have a bowl of it laying around the kitchen, oh. and be like, hey, everybody, I cut up this watermelon. And I just tell everyone in the hopes they eat it, but I eat it. <laughs> that makes me so happy. It's such a perfect food. It's so good. What is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? Last meal I had that made me emotional. I just don't know. Like where you just felt, I don't know, because you said you hadn't traveled much. When you were traveling, did you get to have any emotional meals? 
uh-uh. No. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a funny thing for chefs because, like, sometimes you're analyzing. I was sitting next to Sean Brock at this dinner last night, and I saw his mind working as we ate these grits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was incredible. I will tell you that at lunch today, people eating your food were having these, like, Oh my God! Moments. We had we had some pretty big heart to hearts during the demo about that dish. So yeah, it was that dish has been a nemesis and a best friend. Would you explain it to people who are listening with this dishes? Oh, um, so it is just very simply, simply <laughs> a clarified pot liquor mm-hmm. with a confit egg yolk, cornbread croutons, pickled peppers, chili oil butter beans can i name any more things <laughs> and a whole bunch of herbs from the garden and like really fragrant flowers the uh that and the pot liquor and the pot liquor is uh can you tell people about pot liquor because it is one of the best liquids on the planet so the pot liquor is um the liquid that you cook greens beans peas green beans insert your vegetable um, and you could just like slowly cook it for hours and hours. Most often it has some sort of pork product in it and onions. Mm-hmm. And then I always like to add vinegar and sugar to it. Same. So, I've been doing a little bit of cane syrup. Oh, yeah. And even fish sauce a little bit. Oh, why not? Yeah. You know, and then it's just that liquid. And then we've taken that liquid and then clarified it just mm. to make it fancy. It was, good God, that was a beautiful dish. And I I had an emotional moment. <laughs> I have an emotional moment with that because I had to take it off of my menu because it wasn't happening yeah. the way I wanted it to. Yeah. And that's got to be a moment where you're like, okay, and you take it back to the drawing board. and Yeah. It's like, what, what am I not communicating to the team? Those sheep are communicating pretty loudly. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> what am I not communicating to the team to get this across? Yeah. You know? And that's good to have those moments of reflection. And Yeah. Know. What is the last meal that somebody cooked for you at their home? Oh, my um, uh, CDC, Joey Edwards. He did a um, chicken swarma on his little rotisserie thing. Mm. And um, he cooked it for me. Or like for us as a group for a party, but we had um, tasted so many delicious wines that it was actually never cooked enough, <laughs> so we never ate it. Oh my god! <laughs> um, but it, the the thought was there. That's lovely. <laughs> Not everybody has a home rotisserie. That's really lovely. Right, and we didn't eat it. So I know uh, y'all host a lot of musicians here. Um, who was the musician? Who is the living musician who you would most want to cook for and what would you cook for them? Dolly Parton, that pot liquor dish that you had today. You would not be the first person on this podcast to say Dolly Parton. <laughs> She's amazing. I revere her. Oh my gosh. Like and it's it's not just the music, it's her whole personhood. She's the biggest buyer of books in america yeah something like that she's such a good person she supports like literally everyone has she been here how is this possible she's such a despite despite me tagging her and everything one day i made the entire kitchen because we cleaned the floors together every day at four we choreographed nine to five floor cleaning session it was an amazing moment (laughs) and nothing 
oh, she, somebody's got to do You know what? If It has to be if you're doing a charity thing here yeah. and convince her, hey, you know, we'll raise a lot more money if you're here, Dolly. Yeah. And the charity probably has to be for books. Yeah. That's yeah. great. I, I remember um, Lodge doing – like when, when, the, when the fires happened. Yeah. She stepped in there and she gave so many – she gave so much money over. And I know like – I don't – actually now that I think about it – no, they, they, they were selling a special pan and then everything was going to her, her um, charity initiative that particular year so for for people who don't know like the lodge cast iron has such a footprint in in tennessee i mean mm-hmm. that's it's, it's all made here yeah. you hear things like pigeon forge well there's a forge <laughs> yeah um i feel like it's a matter of time before dolly comes in please dolly maybe she's here right now <laughs> who knows but i'm trying to remember who all said her but like you're maybe the third person to say people said beyonce and dolly dolly yeah no i for some reason i figured you'd probably say dolly, dolly. too because she is a goddess so let's say you have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care what do you do five yeah your your phone is off it's away it's a phone is away I am a big person. I like to definitely do. Think um, they're coming to collect you. <laughs> no, somebody no, else. That's a child. No, wow. there's, there's golf carts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would probably just wash my face. Yeah, just like do a really good like. Yeah, job of just it. like cleanse and. I mean, it's it's not ungross being in a kitchen. Oh yeah, no, that's know? brutal. That's brutal, stinky work in a kitchen. It is like if I could wash my face, and like actually I could every time I go out foraging, I always wash it with Dawn dish soap. Yeah, just in case I get poison ivy anywhere. Oh, and hot tip, hot tip. It cuts the grease. I think that's their thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's a police car. Those are things you don't hear here. Huh. Did somebody put a sheep somewhere in a pool? <laughs> I've heard about somebody trying to put a sheep in a pool. At one point. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so that happened. So <laughs> I think what is uh, actually like, do you have a particular place on this property that you go there and you just stand and listen? I do. I do. I have, well, I have a couple of places where I go. The trailhead is amazing because you have this little babbling brook and if it's really um has rained the sounds and the smells and just that moment are fantastic and then also whenever it's the first of something um comes in be it like a pawpaw or a chanterelle or those god-awful persimmons we get on property that I, they're... Are you just tired of them? Well, they're like Russian roulette. You never know if you're going to get a sweet one or if it's going to... And it doesn't even matter how soft they are. It could also rip all the moisture out of your face. <laughs> so you never know. But uh, if I'm by myself, I will take one of these items and I'll go and hang out with Sam. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a... Yeah. I love that. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for today. Just thank you so much to our guest today, Cassidy Dabney. And where can people find you other than like coming to Blackberry Farm? Well, I'm typically here. Yeah, but I mean, online, they can find you on your Instagram. Or it's your... Cassidy. It's just like Madonna. It's just my name. Okay. And you spell it two S's, two E's. Yes. Yes. And please learn from this woman. and <laughs> Get to know her food. Get to know her heart. It's what you're doing here is super special. And I just, I thank you for what you're doing for food culture and restaurant culture. It really matters. And it's really really important thank you hey thank you to uh, our producer jennifer martnick 
Thank you to Douglas Wagner for our delightful theme song. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, write, review, or rate us. It really matters. Like those reviews, those stars, they keep, they let other people find us and listen to us and let us keep having these conversations. (laughs) And if there's a guest you'd like to hear from or something you'd like for us to talk about, please let us know. And you can find me on Twitter at kitten with a whip. Find out more about the show and catch up on all the episodes at foodnutwine.com and at Food and Wine's YouTube page. Thank you for listening. Take care of good care of yourself till the next time. Go pet a puppy. Go stand out and listen to the rain. <laughs>